Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Hey everybody, how we doing today? Are we blessed? Good, it's so good for you to be here today. I'm so glad you're here because I feel like today, what I want to share with you, I think is going to be the icing on the cake for, to kind of follow up last week's message. Last weekend, uh, I hope you all were here last weekend. For those of you that might have been inconvenienced a little bit, I'm sorry, I apologize. Some of you may have had to sit places where it wasn't comfortable. Some of you may have had to park a little distance away. I'm sorry, we're trying our best, but what can I say? Get here early. Amen. I, I don't want to let go of Easter. Resurrection Sunday, that whole idea of Jesus raising from the dead, that holiday is extremely special to me personally. Um, on April the 25th, I guess a couple of weeks from now, um, it'll be 34 years that I lifted my hand and said, yeah, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And that was three days after Easter Sunday that year. Easter that year was on the 22nd of April. And so this time of the year is extremely special for me. I just feel a really strong connection to this, this whole season of spring and just new life. And I'm so grateful that the Lord led me to the church that he did when I first got born again and, and allowed me to be part of that whole ministry there for, for like 10 or 11 years. And it's just such a special time in my life. And I, I don't want to let go of it. So just let me enjoy it, okay? Um, one thing I don't like about our culture, and I, and I pray that someday that it changes, and if it does change, it's going to have to change because we change it one person at a time, is that we have this mindset that, okay, Easter's done, but, you know, 12.01 a.m. Monday morning, everybody just, okay, we're done. Easter's done. Now let's get back to, to normal life. And normal life for the church is living in resurrection power. Amen. Do we understand that this was the message? The early church didn't have, like, now you go online, you listen to, 50 million different messages on, on thousands of different topics. The early church didn't have that. The early church had one message. Uh, he was dead, and he's back to life. That's what they preached. They preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because let's face it, if you have a relative that passes away, and you've gone through the whole bit, you know, you did, did the viewing, and then the, the funeral, and the commitment service at the, at the, at the cemetery, and then the next morning, he show, shows up at your house for breakfast, I think that's a big deal. You know, so it was a big deal to the early church, and that was the thing that shocked the Roman Empire. They had never even heard of the possibility of somebody coming back from the dead. So that was their message. I don't think we should let go of it. Yeah, we need to talk about relationships. We need to talk about faith. I need to know about how to get my body healed if I need it to be healed. I need to learn about God's plan for my finances. Those are all important. But when it comes down to it, if it were not for the resurrection, there'd be no reason for us to come together here this morning. Amen? So what I want to talk about today is this concept. What kind of love endures what Jesus endured in order to bring us back in relationship with the Father? And you know, we have this saying in our culture today. You know, when somebody does, you know, you see people posting on Facebook. When somebody does something outrageous, whether that's a good outrageous or a bad outrageous, we have this phrase, who does that? Yes, how many of you have seen that? You know, you've seen people say, who does that? You know, some spectacular thing with some crazy, horrific thing that somebody does, and you go, who does that? Well, let me ask you this question. Who endures the type of suffering that Jesus did? 
on three different levels. He suffered in his spirit because he, he had to endure everything that you and I would endure if we reject salvation. He suffered in his soul. We know that, what happened at the Garden of Gethsemane. How he literally suffered so much anxiety, so much stress, to a level that none of us have ever, no emergency room has ever seen that level of stress, panic attack that Jesus had that caused him to sweat blood. And then he suffered physically at the cross to chase after human beings who for the most part are gonna reject him. Who does that? What kind of love is that? I don't think we've ever fathomed this. You know, we're so used to hearing about the love of God, the love of God, God loves me. We treat it like a sleep, like real sloppy, like type of love. No, this love is committed. This love is something that's, that's uh, you're gonna hear me use the term in a little while, relentless. It's like he just doesn't give up. I just wanna concentrate on this and focus on this today. Because I, I think when we grasp the seriousness the depth of the love that kept Jesus on that cross, I think it changes our lives. And it changes our lives in this respect, and this is, this is my expectation today. My expectation today is when we leave this place, we're gonna leave this place with an understanding, man, I never felt so valued. And if he did that for me, and he did that for every other human being that's in this room or anybody that we're gonna encounter throughout our, our work week, then we should be treating others as valuable as we feel like we have been in the eyes of God, amen? You know that changes things? You know that we're, we're subconsciously drawn to people who make us feel valuable and we are subconsciously repelled by people who don't make us feel valued. You know, it's nobody in here, of course, you know. But you know, those people that have those little snide remarks, they give you the little, the little digs and they, they pass the little sarcastic things like that, and then they wonder why they're always by themselves, you know. Or, like I said, nobody in here knows it. You're probably sitting there shocked if there's people like that. Yeah, you, you know, you live long enough, you'll encounter a couple of them. So, when you study the life of Jesus, a life that has been so selfless, you've got to come away with this, this idea, man. This, this is 100% all in commitment of love. It's not, it was never a half, half way, not half bait, no, there's nothing halfway about it. It's 100% it. You realize that it's through his death, burial, and resurrection, all that we celebrated last weekend. And you know, our brothers in the Orthodox community, in the Orthodox churches, the Greek churches, and Russian churches, and uh, Eastern European Orthodox churches are celebrating Easter today. Um, just, you know, who know, I don't know what that's all about, with difference in the calendars. And so um, it's kind of nice because we're still in that same season, you know? And so I don't know about you, but during this time of the year, John 3.16 takes on a whole nother depth of meaning to me. And I know it's like, yeah, we see it at the ballpark and you know, John 3.16 and painted under here and all this other stuff. But do people really, do they, do they fathom, do they grasp? Do you get the depth of the richness of what the scripture says? For God so loved the world and he proved it he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, thank God it only involves belief. If it involves some kind of chore, if it involves some type of a pilgrimage, if it involved some type of me giving something up or having to attain something or, or prove something or, or accomplish something, my God, we'd all be in hell. He said, whoever believes 
in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's about, it's about not perishing and it's about having, about getting out of the perish mode and get into the everlasting life mode. Next week, um, we're gonna have a guest speaker here and I pray that you get here because next week's gonna be another monumental weekend for us. Uh, this gentleman, Bill Weiss, is gonna be here and Bill Weiss is gonna talk to you about uh, a very real experience that he had when he was allowed to literally visit hell for 23 minutes. And, you know, we've talked to him privately because there's a lot of stuff, you know, he won't share from, from here because, you know, you have children in the room and stuff like this. And, oh, my God, the stuff he shared with us privately that he experienced and the things that he saw and the things that he heard, the things that he witnessed, and, and all completely verified by the Word of God is just frightening. I remember the first time he came here, I, I wanted to get born again all over again. I wanted to make sure. <laughs> and but you see, because people say, why do you got to bring somebody like that? Well, well, listen, the whole, the entire reason we preach the gospel is so that people won't perish, but have eternal life. So if you have people in your life, family members, coworkers, neighbors, the people you bump into, that you, you, you know they're not ready for eternity, please. Invite them and get them here next week. If you've got to pick them up, to, if you've got to bribe them to take them to lunch or, or breakfast or whatever, get them here. Last time this gentleman came, we had to uh, uh, just put together a, a very last-minute service, and we ended up baptizing 85 people that day. So please, what is it about? John three sixteen that they should not perish but have eternal life. So make sure you get here next weekend. What kind of love endures what Jesus did? What kind of, listen, listen, let's get the reality of this here. Pull it out of the stained glass mode and get, let's get this, let's talk about the reality of life here. What kind of love did Jesus have to have to endure what he endured? Let me ask you this question. What kind of love chases a creation that for the most part is gonna reject its savior and rather than have an experience salvation is going to insist on living in sin? What kind of love does that? What kind of love does it? Because you and I, we don't, you know what, I'm done. You don't want me, I don't want you. But the love of Jesus is relentless. It's, it's committed, it's committed. Listen, listen to what C.S. Lewis wrote about this subject here. The great thing to remember is that though our feelings come and go, his love for us does not. It is not wearied by our sins. <laughs> thank you. Every one of us in this room should be going, oh my God, thank you. Because <laughs> you, you, you've probably wearied everybody else in your, in your sphere of influence. We never weary him. It's not wearied by our sins, our indifference, and therefore it is quite relentless in its determination that we should be, listen to this, cured of those sins. I never saw that before. I've never read that before. I've never heard anybody else talk about being cured from your sins. Oh, we, we're forgiven. We know we're forgiven, right? How many of you in this room know you're forgiven of your sins? Okay, but how many of us have actively sought healing from the result of those sins that we were in. We carry scars. Jesus not only endured what he endured to, to forgive us, to buy us, to purchase us, to get us out from that condemnation, but through resurrection power, we can be cured of the effects. You know, you don't lose those things. Like, they don't go away like this. I've noticed this throughout 34 years now. I don't know how else to put it, but if, if you were a jerk before you got born again, guess what? 
It doesn't change overnight. It's called renewing your mind. But, but you know, some people, some people, you know, some of us have carried some pains and some consequences, and, and some of us have, 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 are feeling the results very, very real in our life of scars. Depending on what your sin manifested, like, you know, we all have to, you know, we want to judge each other, you know, well, you know, because your sin is different than mine. You think your sin wasn't as bad. But sin is sin, and the effects of sin are all the same. They, they drain life out of us. I don't, I don't know if you found that out yet. I think some of us have. And it talks about here the love of God cures us of that sin, of that, of that result of the sin, of the of the side effects, the after effects. It's relentless, consistent, persistent, unfailing, determined, it never gives up. Throughout the scriptures, when it comes to this relationship between us and our Father in heaven, there's one theme that you see all through the New Testament, through the Gospels. You even see it in the Old Testament here and there. But it's very predominant in the New Testament, the Gospels and in the letters that are written to the church. Because the letters written to the church are extremely important for you and I to read. You realize that because that's where we get our instruction for today. Okay, it's nice. We want to read the Old Testament. It's good because we want to know the backstory. We definitely want to read the Gospels. We want to know all about Jesus and how we reveal the Father here. But we live in those letters. That's where we receive instruction for today. And throughout the letters that are written to the church, whether they're from Paul or from John or from Peter, James, Throughout those letters, we see a theme, that the relationship between us and our Father in heaven is compared to a marriage, to a marriage relationship. And so, if you think about that, and you you think about God's character, you read his desire and his heart for us, it's very much like a husband that's that's trying to prove the depth of his love in order to get his wife back, in order to get back his first love. That's how he sees us. Willing to do whatever is necessary. Have you ever been involved in another couple's relationship? And, and, and usually this takes place before, before the marriage. And you want to pull the person aside that you're friends with and go, what do you see in this guy? What's the matter with you? Are you blind? Don't you? I think that's where they got the whole concept of love being blind. You realize that God has to, has, to, has to be blind to us because of what our lives are like? And his love just never, he just never stops. He just, it's relentless. It's, it's determined. It's committed. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. But, but to really to understand God's character, you've got to see, it. like a husband, he's saying all he can, doing all he can to restore that marriage, to regain his bride. Jesus came saying all that was on God's heart and doing all he could in order to bring us back to his heart. And so since the Garden of Eden, God, listen up, God, like a jealous husband, has been stalking us to get us back. And some people just, and it's a shame. Because you see, as relentless relentless as his love is, he will let you if you want to doesn't desire that, doing everything possible for you not to. But he loves us so much that he gave us free will. And individuals that that are determined not to be affected by that love 
can live a life on this earth, no matter how long, 100, 120 years, and still be bitter and hard-hearted, never having experienced the effects of God's love. Because you and I have to let him love us. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Psalm 8 is an interesting psalm. In Psalm 8, which is quoted again in Hebrews chapter 1 or chapter 2, there's a record of a conversation that takes place between God and angels. The angels initiate the conversation. The question is asked of God, what is man that you're mindful of them? Just indulge me for a minute. Let me paint this picture. Again, think about the times that you've ever had to sit down with someone that you know, and you've watched this relationship unfold. You've watched them be abused. You watched them be rejected. You've watched them be treated completely disrespectfully. And then one day you pull them aside and you go, and I picture the angels doing the same thing with God. Picture this scenario. Put yourself in this picture. God's sitting on the throne. There's angels all around them. They've watched how Adam and Eve treated him. They watched them. The angels watched Adam and Eve take the faith that they originally had placed in God and took it from God and put it in the devil because that's exactly what happened. You know that. They watched Cain, what he did to his brother. They watched the society that led to the flood. They watched God's people turn to idolatry. They watched all this. And then we have recorded in this Psalm 8 where finally the angels go like, you know, we're done. And they're, they're, if we paraphrase it today, you see the angels say to God, what, what, what is it with you and these people? Don't you see how they've treated you? Don't you see how they've disregarded you? Don't you see how they've rejected you? Why do you keep chasing them? Don't you have any self-respect? Thank God he doesn't answer them. Relentlessly been pursuing us. Relentless, doing everything possible. And then when Jesus comes on the scene, like God's final attempt, because, you know, he hasn't sent any other saviors since then, right? You realize that, right? No matter what any other group has been saying, there is no other name under heaven by which you and I can be saved. Jesus comes to this earth, lives life on the earth, putting aside his divine attributes, and lived here as one of us, one in relationship with God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He endures at the cross, he endures the shame of sin, carries on himself all the horrors, every dreaded disease that's ever been known to man, and then endures separation from God. You remember at the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Suffered on three levels, on all three levels of human experience. Because you know, you and I are made tripart in nature just like he is. He created us in his image, right? We are spirit. We possess a soul and we live in a body. Jesus had to suffer all three of those levels of human experience and he did. He suffered spiritually when he went into hell after he died on the cross. He suffered emotionally at the Garden of Gethsemane. No emergency room has ever seen that type and that level of anxiety that Jesus suffered in the garden. So much so that the Bible tells us that he sweat blood. And then he suffered in his body, taking upon himself all the effects of our sin, of the diseases, the sickness, the pestilence that sin allowed to come into this earth. He suffered that. All three levels. And then, and then 
you see, we see when his arms are outstretched at the cross as if to say, there's nothing I won't endure. There's no pain too great, no humiliation too degrading in order for me to show you how much I love you. I don't think one weekend a year is enough to celebrate that level of love and commitment. He's saying to us through his actions, I came and walked through the poverty of this life in order to bring you back into the richness of my glory and I will relentlessly pursue you till you take your last breath to get you back. How many times have we heard of deathbed conversions, these deathbed experiences where a person all their life has resisted and resisted and rejected. It's not for me, I'm happy for you, it's just not for me. That's for weak people, that's for, that's for, that's for women and children, that's for people that don't have any backbone, that's for, that's that, all that religion stuff's not for me, I don't believe any of that stuff, until death has got their grips on them. And thank God, thank God, that God didn't stop 10 minutes before. Thank God. I remember one aunt of mine. For most of her life that I could remember, she kept saying, one of these days I know I'm gonna get cancer. One of these days I know I'm gonna get cancer. One of these days I know I'm gonna get, and guess what? She got cancer. And the last time I visited her in the hospital, she had blown up. To, if I didn't know it was her in the room, I would have never known who she was. And the, the cancer had spread to the point where she couldn't speak. And, and I went in there. And my mom was on one side of the bed. I was on the other side, and she's here. Can't speak. And they gave her something to write on. She wrote on there, I'm dying. And I went, yeah, I know, Aunt Jo. I know. I said, but I want you to do this. I, want you to, I know you can't talk, but I want you from the inside. When, when that pain just gets so great, I want you to call on Jesus. I just want you to call on Jesus. And I kept saying that. My mom kept saying that, call on Jesus. And all of a sudden, the nurses ran in. All of her vitals went crazy, and her eyes are bulged out, and she's pointing to the end of the bed. And of course, if you and I, you know, I was there. If you were there with me, you couldn't have seen anything. But I, I said to her, do you see Jesus? And she went, yeah, he's right there. He's right there. And all of a sudden, you know, you, you, your skin just gets like, oh, my God, he's here. And then you can just sense it, the presence in the room just changed. And although she didn't want to hear anything through her life, he never stopped pursuing, even to the point of showing up in person in a hospital room. She passed a couple days later peacefully, went into his presence. Thank God. Turn to somebody say, thank God his love is relentless. Relentless love, that's love that doesn't know how to take no for an answer, always believes the best, always speaks the best, always encouraged, always satisfies. Relentless in his pursuit, he reached down from heaven. God, our Father, came down to this earth in the form of Jesus. That's why we call him Emmanuel, God with us. Psalm 18, verse 16 says, he reached down from heaven and rescued me, and he drew me out of deep waters. Relentless love reaches from eternity it always is. There's never been a time where love did not exist. Love always is, because God always is. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse three. What, why are we talking about this? Because we want to leave here today with an appreciation of the love of God like we have not had before. 
Because, you know, you can, I don't know if you, do, do you know you can drift in this relationship? Anybody know what I'm talking about? When I say, we, we first come into this relationship with God, and man, we're on fire, and we just want to, we're going to go every house in our neighborhood, and we're going to go clean out the hospitals, and we're going to do what, we're going to just tell everybody about Jesus. And then we, then we cool down and we become respectable. You can drift. But his love reaches from eternity, gets a hold of us. That simple, pure, unadulterated love of God. Jeremiah 31, verse three. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, yes, I have loved you with what kind of a love? An everlasting love. We could say it this way, an eternal love. Therefore, with loving kindness, committed love, I have drawn you. It's everlasting because it has no expiration date. That love is eternal because love is God. Relentless, overcoming every obstacle. Not even death, hell, or the grave could stop that love. Jesus came out of the tomb in order to raise us up with him. Think about this. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2. But God, who was rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespass, in other words, when we were still dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And watch this now, verse 6 and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know if that means anything to you, but this is what it means to me. I love you so much, I don't want you to go to hell. But I'm not even content with that, that you're not going to hell. Once you've received, this this is like God's, this is God's stance right now. Once you receive my son, you receive Jesus as your savior, you're saved now, you're gonna be in eternity with me forever, guess what? Come and sit with me now. You get that? He raised us up for what reason? Not just so we don't go to hell. He's raised us up for what? Come and sit with me now. Seats us where? In heavenly places. I don't know. I, I just, I picture myself up there with my legs dangling. You know, he's just sitting on that overlook, just, just feet dangling. <laughs> Seated where? In heavenly places. Far above. Not just above, far above far above all the darkness, far above anything that the enemy can do, far above, not just a little bit. That's what his love did for us. It's not enough that he saved us. He also, come come here, come come sit here. Let's spend time together. Come sit with me. Jesus, move over a little bit, so. You catching this? Who does that? What kind of love is it? Who does that kind of love? Who especially, now, for those of you like my wife, my wife grew up in church. She was a goody two-shoes, never did anything. <laughs> but if you were like me, now I could see God loving her. I could see God wanting her to you know, come sit here with me. Especially since he didn't have to go shopping with her. But... <laughs> But what kind of love does it take? And, and some of you know what I'm talking about. To want somebody who's spent a whole life just walking away. Almost determined to make sure to get involved in the foulest, the filthiest, the most degenerate. And have creative ways to do that. Who does that? Who wants that kind of person to spend eternity with them? Who wants, now spend eternity, but stay over there. He's like, no, come and sit here with me. I've accepted you and my beloved. You're mine. 
your mind. Who, who does that? Who do, I, don't, I, I don't know that we can fathom that. Who goes to those lengths? What kind of love is that? It's certainly not love that we should be able to walk away from or drift from or take for granted or grow too familiar. I was sharing this with the, with the, the, the first service this morning. I said, you know, when I, got, when I got born again 34 years ago, I came into a church, I talked about a born again church like us, at a season where there was a lot of talk about the fatherhood of God. And if there's anything I needed to hear about at that time, it was that topic, okay? There was a lot of people, and, and, and people were, were constantly talking about Abba, Abba, which if you're not familiar with that term, Abba is a Hebrew term for daddy, a very affectionate term. And I came in, my, my religious background, which exactly was religious, was I never saw that side of God. God is this gold guy just waiting for me to do something wrong so he could nuke me. He's always mad, always looking for somebody to, to just pour his wrath on. Stern, uh, if you don't do this, 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 and that, I can't love you, I can't, won't even look at you. Um, you. You didn't go confess, and you didn't go in that little box and tell everybody, tell somebody else everything you did, and you, know, you make some up because you want it to be real dramatic. <laughs> if you didn't do that, I don't really want to talk to you. Don't, don't dare come and take communion unless you went through all that. I came in with that kind of a, so, so it, thank God for the season I came in. But you know, some of it was a little weird because you see what happens is if you're, if you're all the way over here in, a, in, in some uh, experience of life, sometimes you need to go all the way over here before you come back to where there's some normalcy. You know what I'm saying? And, and thank God for that. Years later, I looked back and I realized that that's what that was all about. It's, you know, like the illustration I used earlier today was like, you know, uh, we go on these diets. Well, what, what's the diet? Well, I, I'm not eating for six days. I'm just going to suck on almonds. <laughs> and, you know, you make it about two and a half days before they got to scrape you off the floor. You know you're not going to, you know, you're not going to fulfill that, you know, because you know what that, that's one of those, uh, I'm over here, I'm like, not only eating my food, but I'll eat yours when you're not looking. <laughs> you, from that experience to, you got to go to that six days, no food, sucking on almonds, so that you can get to some place of normalcy where your food is safe around me, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? So, so it was that kind of a thing, and, and I, I do have a point here that I'm trying to make, so when I came into that season of the church where people were talking about, yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I spent this morning sitting on Abba's lap, and I'm like, you are so weird. <laughs> just hanging out with daddy. Oh, you're a grown man. <laughs> and that's weird for you to be sitting on daddy's lap. But I understood, you know, you know what I'm talking about, I understood, but it was, just, it was still weird, it was weird. But, but again, it was that I had to get so immersed in that fatherhood of God concept, come to the place of some normalcy. He is my father. But let's not ever get to the place where we take him for granted the way maybe we took our fathers for granted. Let's not ever get to the place that we don't value the love and we don't ever get to the place where it becomes so familiar that we don't realize that there is the justice side of God also. And that yes, he loves us and takes us exactly the way we are, but he loves us way too much to leave us exactly the way we are. How many of you are so grateful that he didn't leave you the way you were? Oh my God. 
relentless love. The Apostle Paul had first-hand experience with that kind of God, God's relentless love, Jesus chasing him. That's the love that chased Saul, the murderer, the persecutor of the Christians, all the way to the city of Damascus. And outside that city, that love knocked him off his feet. And Saul, the murderer, the persecutor, came face to face with Jesus, the very name that he was trying to stamp out, the very concept of which he was trying to eliminate from the people of his day, their mindset. Didn't want to hear that he might be the Messiah. Didn't want to hear anything about this man supposedly raising from the dead. And later on, after he experienced that kind of love, later on he would write, and thank God he did because we have it preserved for today. In the letter that he wrote to the church at Rome, we classify it as chapter eight. I'm gonna read to you starting in verse 38. This is what Saul the murderer, the persecutor, after he came face to face with the love of God, this is what he wrote. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank God. That relentless love is not a past tense love, but it's a present tense reality. It's here right now. It's here right now. God is love. Not was love, not going to be love. He is love. And love awaits for opportunity to love. Love cannot manifest itself if it doesn't have someone to love. It must be manifested. It must be poured out on someone else. Love cannot manifest in itself. There's a word that appears all throughout the scriptures. And it's used to describe the way God sees us. And that word is beloved. It means to be the object and the recipient of God's love. And so uh, when you break down the word beloved in English, we have two words. It's two words, one instruction. Be loved. That's, our, that's his command. Why? Why does he have to command us to be loved? Because in our natural self, are, are you the type of person that has, I'm the type of person that have trouble receiving a compliment. I have trouble saying, no, don't say Some of us are like that with love, especially if you love a God. And so we'll find ourselves saying something dumb like, I, I, I know he loves me, but I just don't deserve it. No, well, we know that. You know that, I know that. I know I don't deserve God's love. But thank God it's not based on what we deserve because if we, oh my God, could you imagine what life would be like if we got what we deserved? Oh Jesus, spare us. Be loved. Jesus mentions it. The Apostle Paul talks about it. This is the instruction that we receive from the word of God. Be loved. Now, why is that important? Because there's only one voice in the universe that will speak to you, be loved. That comes from God. You're never going to find a voice on this natural earth that's going to say that to you. We're going to give you that kind of instruction. Be loved. You know what you're going to hear on the earth? Be selfish. Be greedy. Be angry. Be vengeful. Be self-centered. Be self-absorbed. The scriptures teach us exactly the opposite. Be loved. Don't, now watch this now. 
Don't base the foundation of your life on the love that you're going to receive from another human being. Base the foundation of your life on the love that you can receive from the Father in heaven, which far surpasses any love. You know what happens to people who have based, their foundational base is, is founded on the love from other people? That's called codependency. And codependency will kill you. Codependency robs you of dignity. Codependency will cause you to do things because you, you, you don't understand. I just can't be without that person. Uh, honey, that's because you've never truly grasped and received the reality of the love that Jesus has for you and the love of the Father towards you. A love doesn't say, I love you if you dance for me. I love you if you do this for me. I love you if you, let's not get into details. You know where I'm going. That kind of love robs you of dignity and self-respect. The love of God always protects your dignity. Man, I don't know if you realize how, how deep that is. The love of God will always maintain your dignity, will never grind you into the ground. Will ne- even, even that woman that, woman that they came and brought to Jesus and threw her at his feet because they had caught her in the very act of adultery. Jesus, I think, was more angry with them because he realized their religion was trying to rob that woman of all her dignity. They purposely, I believe they set her up. They purposely set her up purposely dragged her naked out of that bed through the streets and threw her at the feet of Jesus, thinking, thinking that he was just like them. I think they were more shocked than the woman was because they expected him to be just like they were, vengeful, mean, cold-hearted. And Jesus turned the whole thing around, covered her with his dignity, treated her with self-respect. Didn't send her off without any equipment. He said, what did he tell her? Go and sin no more. What kind of love does that? What kind of love sent him to the cross, not only for the woman, but also for the ones that wanted to stone her? What kind of love does that? Knowing they're going to reject him. I think we need to hold on to that. We need to allow God's love. You need to allow God's love. I need to allow God's love to just constantly, constantly just wash us and constantly refresh us. And co- Let me tell you something. I, I, I think I said this in last service. And when you do the weekends like this, everything becomes a blur. I find myself every once in a while, and it seems like it's happening sooner rather than further apart, that I'll, I'll catch myself saying something like this. Jesus, I need you to be my savior today as much as I needed you 34 years ago. Do you realize there's never a day going to go, you're never going to live a day in this earth where you're not going to need a savior. There's never going to be a day that you're not going to need the love of God. There's never going to be a day where you're not going to need to acknowledge I am completely dependent upon you. If you leave me alone, I'm going to make a complete mess out of my life. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? What kind of love sent him to the cross like that? The Christian author John Ortberg, in one of his books, God is Closer Than You Think, is the title. This is what, this is the quote I took out of that book. My desire, he's speaking of himself, my desire ebbs and flows. In other words, it comes and goes. 
but his love for me is constant. I want us to remember that relentless, never stopping, consistently pursuing love of God demonstrated in the commitment. The love of God, we, we, have, we, we traditionally and almost habitually refer to the love of God as unconditional. But do we also understand that the love of God is committed? In other words, he signed for it. If we could put it this way, and it's not 100% accurate, but maybe just to kind of get a glimpse, he signed for it before you even existed. Committed, committed. And I've always had this picture in my, in my, in my soul that I've carried. And, and just, uh, it's probably not accurate in the specifics, but I believe it's very accurate in the context. I have this picture of this big file room in heaven. And an angel going over and picking out my file. And looking through it, you know. And then going, has Jesus seen this file? And then going to Jesus, Jesus, I gotta talk to you. I just found that guy Joe Source's file. Have you seen what's in here? Have you, have you seen what this guy's done in his young year, when he was young? Did you see what he did? Did you see the kind of crazy ideas this guy had? Did you see the, the depth of degeneracy that this man walked in? Did you see the filth that he got involved? Did you, did you see how he treated people? Do you, and, and listen, have you looked in the future and seen what this guy's gonna do? And I picture Jesus going, yeah, yeah, I read it. I, I put the file there. Aren't you aware of it? Yeah, I'm aware. I know what he's capable of, but I still want him. I want you to grasp that and grasp that picture that Jesus has already read your file. He knows exactly what you've done. He knows exactly what you're capable of. He knows exactly what you're all about. And he has said this, I still want that. God the Father does not want us outside of his love. And that's why he relentlessly pursues us. I'm asking you here, before I turn this over to Pastor Matt to kind of close this out. I'm asking you today, there's anybody in this room or anybody that's gonna be watching this in the future, if you have never prayed that simple prayer, making a declaration from your heart what you believe about the Lord Jesus Christ, what do you need to believe? Do you believe that he's the son of God? Do you believe that he died on a cross to pay for your sins? Do you believe that God raised him from the dead? If you believe that, there is nothing stopping you from receiving this free gift of salvation. There's nothing stopping you except you. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory at newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today.